You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Dearly beloved, we have gathered here today in the presence of God to have a conversation about marriage. Today we're going to take a journey together back a few months, a few years, maybe a few decades to the day of your wedding. For some of you who maybe aren't married, if that's a part of God's plan for you, we're going to be giving you a little glimpse of the future. A very specific glimpse if you happen to ask me to perform your wedding because our content today is my usual wedding sermon and I would be wearing the suit because it's my only suit. A marriage ceremony is a special moment ordained by God where different people with their different lives, different families, and different experiences become united by God, united by God as they build their lives together. And as we take a trip back to your wedding day or possibly forward, it's not just a second chance to think about that happy day and how happy you were in your life at that moment. It's also a second chance to actually listen to what the minister said while you were standing there. Because come on, you know you don't have a clue what he said. And just to be sure that this wasn't just me, I took a little poll of my coworkers and asked them, hey, do you remember what the minister talked about at your your wedding and during your wedding ceremony? And the answers I got were these, no, 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 maybe love? No, no, and yes, but only because I recently reread it so I could use it in a wedding I was performing. (laughs) So you've got a second chance today to listen to some of what the minister may have talked about, or or at least something that is usually brought up in weddings and is foundational to having a healthy marriage, and honestly, something we don't talk about too much after the wedding day. So, take yourself to that day, and for today, let me be your wedding officiant as we talk about what happens on the day you get married. Now, Matt told you whenever he kicked off this series that one thing that everyone needs to have healthy, God-honoring marriages is grace. Now, that doesn't mean ignoring the problems that that come up in our lives, but that we all need the same level of grace, the same level of patience, the same level of love and understanding that God offers to each one of us every single day. And Rhett, last week, talked about how if you want to see changes in your marriage, what really needs to change is yourself. And now you have to have humility, and you have to be willing to, willing to look at and say, what are the attitudes and the actions in me that need to change? Because that's the only thing that I can control. So we know that we need grace for each other. And we need humility about ourselves. And because I know that over the last two weeks, you've all been working really hard and you've perfected all of that, I'm going to go ahead and add a third. We need to be united as one. We need to be united as one. 
And in all seriousness, I hope that you don't hear what we're talking about in this series as, as us saying, hey, these are all the things to do. You know, three or four quick steps to a, to a perfect marriage. That's, that's not what we're trying to accomplish. What we're trying to do is just give you a picture. We're trying to paint for you a picture of what a healthy marriage, about what a marriage that honors Jesus, which if you're new here, that's, that's what we're all about as a church, what a marriage that honors Jesus, what it really looks like. And so if you start incorporating some of these things into your marriage relationship or you're thinking about these things for a future marriage relationship, then it's gonna help that marriage to thrive. And so unity, unity is an important concept in a wedding ceremony. It's very popular to include some sort of unity element as a part of it. I personally have performed weddings where there has been a unity candle unity sand, and a unity braid. And doing just a, uh, just a quick search, I found a few other options, which include the unity branding of a piece of leather for you cowboys and cowgirls, <clears throat> a unity combining of chemicals to create a chemical reaction for the scientists, a unity tea brewing for the people who haven't discovered the far superior drink called coffee. <clears throat> And a unity abstract puzzle for those who want to slow down their wedding to do a puzzle. <laughs> well, as your wedding officiant, I would say something like, these two have chosen to symbolize their union with this unity element. Right now, there are two things that represent their separate lives that they will combine into one thing that represents their new life together. And just as those, that one thing cannot be separated back out into those two things, so shall your marriage be. And that, then it would take about like 15 seconds for them to combine the thing that they were doing and all the rest of us would be standing there like staring at them for the next two and a half minutes while we listen to the bride's favorite country song. Because, you know, <laughs> weddings are fun. <clears throat> now hear me say this, my sarcasm aside. Uh, I, I'm actually a big fan of the unity element in a wedding because what that unity element is, is it's a picture of what God is actually doing in your lives on that day. Like, it, this is, this is a, a picture of the spiritual reality of what is happening as you are <coughs> making these vows and, and, and making these promises and saying, I do. And one of the very popular passages that I get asked to include in wedding ceremonies that I perform comes out of the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses seven and eight. And Mark 10, seven and eight says this. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, understanding what a part of the Bible is talking about, the, the context is incredibly important. You need to know the things that are going on around it to really understand any passage of the Bible. But when it comes to this passage and weddings, um, you won't hear a minister talk a whole lot about what Jesus is talking about leading up to this statement because it's actually like the one thing that you are not allowed to talk about in a wedding ceremony. I mean, this is, this is a no-no. This is like wearing a, a more serious, Equally outfit than the mother of the bride, kind of off limits. <sighs> divorce. Jesus here is actually talking about divorce. And so we're going to back up a few verses and we're going to look at this whole passage 
Because what Jesus has to say about divorce is actually an incredibly important part to having a healthy marriage. This is Mark chapter 10, starting in verse two. Some Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. Well, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. See, there was a, there was a cultural teaching back then in the day of Jesus that wasn't totally unlike the cultural teaching that we have today that says, or that said, says, that anything that makes you unhappy might be a good enough reason to get divorced. And these Pharisees, they were coming to Jesus. They were looking for him to either affirm this, which, which probably would have you know, appeased the crowds. It would have made the people listening to him feel, whew, at least you know, we're, we're okay. We didn't do something to make God mad. But the Pharisees then could have been like, you don't wanna listen to this teacher. He's not morally strict enough. Or... They were looking for Jesus to come down maybe really hard on this issue, really come after the issue of divorce. And, and then the Pharisees would see the crowd turn away from him, which is what they wanted because they were opposed to Jesus. And Jesus didn't walk into either of those things. He just shared the truth. If you're somebody who has experienced divorce, and, and I know in a, in a room this full, there's, there's probably a lot that it's personally impacted your life, you know it is one of the most painful, one of the most tragic experiences that you, your family, may ever experience in life. And know that we as a church here, we're here to love you. According to Jesus, he says that divorce was given as an option because of our hard human hearts. Another way of saying that is that the whole reason divorce exists is because we, all of us as people, are disobedient to God. All of us, every single one of us, has what we call sin. And it is because sin exists that there is such a thing as divorce. And Jesus isn't saying that, that Moses was, was being sinful or was giving us a sinful option in giving us divorce. What he was saying is that we as sinners, when we sin against one another, it is because of our sin against one another. If you've experienced divorce, you would probably be able to point to things. And it's like it was one or two big things or maybe it was you know a hundred little things that just added up over time and it drove a wedge in between something that was never meant to be separated. And so divorce was given as a concession on God's part. It was given as an accommodation because of our sin. But Jesus, he wants to paint a better picture. Jesus wants to point back. He, he points back all the way to the beginning before there was sin, before that got in the way of our relationships. He wants to paint the picture of the, of the perfect plan that God had for us. 
And he says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them, male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The spiritual reality of what's happening on a wedding day, if we could live it, we would experience so much healthier relationships, is this. That God didn't create marriage to put us with each other. He created marriage to make us one. To unite us together. We're no longer two separate individuals, but through God, we are united into one being. This is, the, this is the wedding day promise that we're making before God with our vows. Like You may not have realized that this is what you were signing up for because it was during that repeat after me part of the ceremony where you were like just trying not to like miss what the minister said because it was your only speaking part. On your wedding day, you are asking God while promising each other to be united as one. And now this is something, I'm gonna try my best to kind of explain what this is or describe what this is, but there is some divine mystery to this that we just can't totally wrap our minds around. Honestly, in scripture, the, the, best, uh, the best analogy or the best way to kind of describe what this relationship is like, this marriage relationship is a lot like the relationship between God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we believe this. We believe that we worship one God, one united God, and that that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we try to come up with some ways to explain this, but truthfully, we, it's something that we can't entirely wrap our heads around. We just trust it and believe it because it's what God has taught us about himself. In the same way, a marriage relationship, a husband and a wife, two separate persons are united into one being. And we're gonna talk a little bit about, about what, that, what that looks like and how that plays out, but, but honestly, there is some mystery to it that we'll never totally understand. But as best we can, how, what does this mean? What does it mean for the two, excuse me, to become one flesh? Well, there, there's a physical reality to it, a man and a woman are capable of a physical combining <clears throat> that I have no intention of going into detail about here. <clears throat> but this physical intimacy, it was created by God as a good gift, as a good gift to represent truly the two becoming one. And it was something that God created for the context of that married relationship because the two becoming one means that that person is becoming a part of your very self. And we as the church, you know, we've gotten looked at as a little bit prudish and a little bit backwards in our thoughts about sex. And honestly, I think the world's kind of got us all wrong. Like, 
What we're trying to say, or when we're pointing to what it is that God says, what we're saying is, hey, if that person that you are experiencing that level of intimacy with is not someone that you would want to be connected to as much as your very self for the rest of your life, like maybe that's not the best thing for you. Like, it was created for this sense of marital oneness, not something we're supposed to regret down the road. It's a marriage thing about two becoming one. That's not the only way that this, this one flesh thing plays out. For those who have kids, your combined DNA is literally the two of you becoming one. God takes all of the best things about you and all of the worst things about your spouse and he combines them together. And in this little bundle of joy that you have to keep alive for 18 years. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't you wish that it was all the best things about you? <laughs> like, I, I look at my kids. My kids every day are a mirror to me that I look at and see things that I need to fix about myself. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm like that, aren't I? <laughs> But it's not just physical, it's not just, it's not just sex, it's not just kids. The idea of flesh, it goes further than that. Flesh is a word that was, it was, it was oftentimes used for personhood. Like everything that makes up the person of who you are. And those two persons joining together and becoming one, like one personhood, one being. <coughs> so, so all of those things that make you who you are, those things are shared now. Like your emotions like, when you are married, you're no longer, you, you, you used to just experience your emotions about a situation. If something happened, you kind of experienced it the way that you experienced it. But when you get married, all of a sudden, you have all of these other emotions, all of these other feelings that you have to process through and that you have to kind of take into account whenever it's happening. And this can be hard for, for some of the men in the room because your emotional range used to go from something like hungry to sleepy, and that was about it. And now your emotional range has gotten a little more complicated. But it's all a part of this becoming, becoming one. One flesh means becoming one intellectually. It means that, that when, uh, when, when, you, when they start explaining something that you could care less about, like, honey, this is why this fishing pole is better for catching that kind of fish. Or, sweetie, it's important that you know the background of these science fiction characters in this movie that you don't want to watch. Like, whenever they're explaining these kind of things to you, it's important for your collective personhood that we all know this. It means becoming one financially. You don't make financial decisions that impact the marriage, which is pretty much all of them, without consulting the other person. It means becoming one spiritually. It means that both of you are being united in your desire to grow and to better understand what it means to follow Jesus and to be like him. I mean, the long story short is this, that you no longer matter as though you are the most important or like what you think and what you feel about every situation is the most important thing. The two becoming one means that everything you do impacts the other person as much as it impacts your very self. Everything you do. And there's this incredible opportunity in this 
to expand your experiences in this life. I mean, to experience an emotional range that maybe you wouldn't have before, to process things in a different way, to encourage one another, to be more generous with one another, to get to experience these things, to refine one another, to make up for each other's deficiencies. It's really a beautiful gift. I mean, if it weren't for the two sinners that got stuck in your marriage, our sinful nature and this sinful world that we live in, it just, it kicks and screams to drive a wedge in between this thing that God meant to be united as one. And you know, this happens because the, this whole one flesh thing, it doesn't exactly work like combining chocolate chips and cookie dough. Like, it's not like you take one awesome thing and one awesome thing and you end up with something that's super awesome. I mean, we kind of we think that it's gonna be that way on our wedding day, you know, when we're cute and naive and don't know anything. And, um, and we, we think it's gonna be a little bit more like that. But what it ends up being, anybody who's been married for longer than 10 seconds realizes that what we've done here is we've taken something that is stubborn and selfish. And we've taken something else that is selfish and stubborn. And we have now smashed those two things together into one. And the only way for them to make it work is for both of them to commit to being less so stubborn and selfish. And so this is, this is something that we, we have to, it's difficult. It's sometimes painful. It means, you know, just some of the things that it means. It means that your time is not your own to do just whatever it is that you want anymore. You have to take them into account as well. It means that at the end of a hard day when all you want to do is check out, if they need you to be present, you be present. It means that you have to forgive and forgive and forgive again whenever they offend you. It means you have to admit when you're wrong and ask forgiveness from them when you offend them. It means that you have to continue to adapt to the changing person that they are as they continue to adapt to the changing person that you are because you're committed to one another, not based on the person that they were on the day of your wedding, but on every different version that they are going to become from then on after. And if you weren't yet, you might be asking yourself, why did we sign up for this? And as, and as difficult and sometimes painful as it can be, the answer is actually pretty great. Joy. We got into this for joy. Now hear me, if, you, if you're single in the room, I, I need you to hear me say this. Being married is not the only way to experience joy in life. Jesus was never married, and he had the most perfect joy that any person could ever experience. The apostle Paul, he was never married, and he experienced incredible joy in life. So I'm not saying that marriage is the only path to joy. But whenever I think about my life, whenever I look at you know, my relationship with Ashley, I think, I think of some of the worldly joy that I've gotten to experience over the last 10 plus years. I think about how, how there, were, you know, there were seasons in my life where I felt like she was my only close friend or whenever I had to make a tough decision and had to walk through you know, the, 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 the playing out of that decision and having somebody there by my side, it was a joy, it was a blessing. 
But even more so, the spiritual reality, it's even better, the spiritual joy. I have joy in that I get to be made more like Christ because of my marriage. Again, it's not, this is not the only way for this to happen. God uses a lot of different things for this. But for me, for, for me, somebody who, who wants to grow, I want to be a better person. I want to be somebody who looks more like Jesus. I want other people to be able to see Christ in my life. And because of that, my marriage gives me an abundant opportunity for self-improvements. <laughs> and every little step that I take and that Ashley takes to be more like Jesus and to be more united with one another, to rid ourselves of the two that are stubborn and selfish and to become one is one more step that we look that much more like Christ. So, what does this require of us? Because it's difficult, this is not easy and it requires some things of us. And the two that I really want to talk about with the rest of our time this morning are these. Sacrifice and trust. Sacrifice and trust. Now, at this point in a wedding message, I like to remind the couple that's standing there in front of me that they are selfish. And I like to say that during their wedding ceremony because it usually makes everybody in the audience snicker a little bit because it's really funny when you call a bride and a groom selfish on their wedding day. Um, <clears throat> But it's true, we all are, every, every single one of us. We're selfish people and what this marriage is calling of us is to be the opposite of selfish. It's to show sacrificial love. It means saying that I am going to lay myself down for your sake. I'm gonna put you before me again and again and again. And I'm gonna do this even when I don't feel like it because it's not about my feelings, but it's about becoming one. You can't just be about yourself anymore because you are no longer just yourself. They are now yourself too. God is calling us to be that united. And this is the sacrifice, and hear me in this church, this is the sacrifice that we can live out because Jesus modeled it for us. We were not worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's very important that all of us understand that. We were not worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. He died on a cross to cover our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness in spite of our disobedience, in spite of our failure to honor him time and time again. And the only way that we're gonna get this unity peace right in our marriages is when we choose to sacrifice for someone who doesn't deserve it and recognize that they are choosing to sacrifice for someone who doesn't deserve it. And church, we are all too messed up to do this on our own. We need Jesus. We have to be growing closer to him in all of the things that we talk about in this series. If we wanna show grace, if we wanna have humility, if we want to be united, we have got to be growing closer to Jesus because he is our example. 
sacrificial love, it becomes second nature when you are walking closely with the one who wrote the book on it. So we have to sacrifice. And I'm not gonna pretend that that's easy. That's hard enough when your marriage is in a good place. Like whenever it's earlier on or, or you know, maybe, maybe you haven't uh, taken off the rose-colored glasses yet or, you know, in the beginning, before your spouse has let you down once or twice or five times since breakfast, like. But when you're in a marriage for a little while and you start to realize that, man, they're selfish, I'm selfish, they can be hurtful, I can be hurtful, we show why we're hard to show sacrificial love to. We show why it is that we're hard to trust. And if your marriage is in a rougher spot, like I know that talking about sacrificial love and talking about trust, like trusting your spouse, like you're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, that makes, that makes me wanna laugh if it didn't make me wanna cry. And it is hard. It is hard. Well, that's why it's so important. I, I wanna encourage you in this. Don't ask if your spouse deserves to be sacrificed for because none of us ever do. Don't ask if you can trust them enough to sacrifice for them. Ask if you can trust Jesus enough to sacrifice for them because of the way that he sacrificed for you when you didn't deserve it. And this trust part, we know that, that the healthiest marriages, they, they have this trust where the husbands can sacrificially love for their wives because they don't have to be watching out for their own back because they know that their wife has always got it. The healthiest marriages are the ones where the wife can lay herself down for her husband, can give of herself and not be worried about her own, herself or her own needs first because she knows that her husband is always thinking about her needs first. That's what this sacrificial love, that's what this trust looks like. And all of these things, all the things we talked about today and in this series, they require someone to go first. If you want a healthier marriage, someone in that marriage has to do something that no one is currently doing. Somebody has to be willing to take the first step and you do so knowing that it's probably not gonna be reciprocated. You give them grace knowing that they may not give it back. You have some humility, you do some analyzing about yourself and admit something about yourself that needs to change even though there may be something glaring about them that needs to change and they don't see it. And you fight for unity. You fight to be one. And it may take once, it may take a hundred times before you see any kind of change in your spouse. Or, you know, I hope not, but maybe, maybe that, even if that never happens, you get to grow to become more like Christ. You get to model him better and he will honor it. Church, I believe that with my whole heart. He will honor your desire to be faithful to seek unity in your marriage. So just a couple of things to kind of think on as we're wrapping up our time today. Just a couple of questions, maybe one to ask yourself for this week. How can I be more united with my spouse? How can, how can I be more about meeting their needs this week than my own? 
How can I be more open with them about what I'm thinking and about what I'm feeling? Or how can I listen better whenever they're telling those things to me? What are some of the hurts that I've allowed to drive a wedge between this relationship that was created to be united as one? What can I do to live in sacrificial love and trust for my spouse? Not because they deserve it, but because I didn't deserve it when Jesus did it for me. So I gotta close this way. Now that we have been reminded of our wedding day and of our commitment before God to be united as one, by the power vested in me as a minister of Jesus Christ, I hope, I hope to pronounce us better husbands and wives if we will live united. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And if you want, you can kiss the bride. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, we give you thanks for the joy that we get to experience on a day like a wedding, whether it's our own, whether it's others that we attend and just get to recognize, Lord, uh, the, the, the image of your goodness and the way that you are working. Lord God, whether, whether folks in here are single, been married, never wanna be married or are married, Lord God, we, we pray for relationships that would honor you Lord, we, we pray that we would be able to just better understand your word, Lord, so that we can experience the joy that you have set out for us. God, we just give you thanks for this time to worship you, to gather together. We pray that we would go out of here and that we would honor you with our marriages and in every other way where we can become a little bit more like you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray, amen.